Chapter five of the Memoirs of Chateaubriand, seventeen sixty eight to eighteen hundred. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nicole Lee, Memoirs of Chateaubriand, seventeen sixty eight to eighteen hundred by Francois Rene de Chateaubriand. Chapter five. La Vallée aux Loups, June eighteen twelve. Gerille, Evie Magon, fight with two sailor boys. I have already said that my premature revolt against the bon who ruled Lucille was the commencement of my disgrace. It was completed by one of my companions. My uncle, Monsieur de Chateaubriand du Plessis, who, like his brother, was settled at Saint-Malais, had, like him, four daughters and two sons. My two cousins, Pierre and Armand, at first constituted all my society, but Pierre was appointed page to the Queen, and Armand, being destined for the ecclesiastical state, was sent to college. Pierre, on quitting the Queen's service, entered the navy and was drowned on the coast of Africa. Armand, after having been shut up for many years at college, left France in 1790, served throughout the whole of the emigration, undauntedly made five voyages in a sloop to the coast of Bretagne, and afterwards died for his king on the plains of Grenelle on Good Friday, 1810. I have already mentioned this, and shall again have occasion to revert to it when recounting his untimely fate. Being thus deprived of the society of my two cousins, I endeavoured to fill up the void by a new acquaintance. A gentleman named Gerille lived on the second floor of the hotel which we inhabited. He had one son and two daughters. The education of the son was diametrically opposite to mine. He was a thoroughly spoiled child, and everything that he did was thought charming. His great delight was fighting, and especially exciting quarrels, of which he constituted himself umpire. He was constantly playing pranks upon the bon when they walked out with the children. The main subject of their gossip was his frolics, which they magnified into deadly crimes. His father merely laughed at these pranks, and Joson Gerille was not a whit the less beloved. He soon became my most intimate friend, and exercised unbounded sway over me. I made great progress under such a master, although my character was entirely opposite to his. I was fond of solitary sports, and never sought a quarrel with any one, whereas Gerille was mad after pleasure and clamour, and childish squabbles were the joy of his heart. If any of the young polissons came up to speak to me, Gerald would exclaim, Do you permit that? At these words I thought my honour compromised, and I would fly at the head of the audacious intruder. Age or height was nothing to me. My friend would look on and applaud my courage, but he never came to my assistance. Sometimes he would raise an army of all the young idlers whom we met, and then, dividing his conscripts into two bands, we commenced a regular skirmish with volleys of stones on the beach. Another game invented by Gerald was of a more dangerous nature. When the sea ran high, and there was a storm, the waves lashed the foundations of the ancient chateau, rushed upon the shore, and dashed even as high as the large towers. About twenty feet above the elevation of the base of these towers was a parapet of granite, straight, slippery, and sloping, which communicated with the ravelin that defended the moat. The point to be accomplished was to seize the instant between the two waves, and clear the perilous slope, before the wave could break and cover the tower. Behold a mountain of water, rapidly advancing with a roaring voice. If you delay one single moment, the monster will either engulf you or dash you against the wall. Not one of us ever refused this hazardous feat, but I have seen many a boy turn pale before he attempted it. This penchant Gerial to thrust others into dangerous adventures while he remained an idle spectator induced the impression that he did not on the whole display a very generous character. It was he, nevertheless, who on a very small scale has perhaps outdone the heroism of Regulus, Rome and Titus Livius alone were wanting to complete his glory. In after life he became a naval officer, and was taken prisoner at the engagement of Quiberon, 
the action was finished and the english continued to cannonade the republican army sherrill threw himself into the sea swam up to the vessel told the english to cease their fire and announced to them the misfortune and capitulation of the emigrants the english wished to save him and throwing out a rope conjured him to lay hold of it and come on board i am a prisoner on parole cried he from the bosom of the waves and swam back to the shore he was shot with sombre and his companions sherrill was my first friend we were both ill understood in our childhood we were bound together by an instinct the value of which we learned at a future day two adventures put a stop to this first part of my history and produced a complete change in the system of my education one sunday we were on the shore at the portcullis of the gate of st thomas and along the sion huge piles rammed into the sand protected the walls against the sea we used to climb to the top of these piles and watch the first undulations of the coming tide as they passed beneath us we had taken our places as usual and several little girls had joined us i was seated nearly at the outer extremity having before me a pretty little girl hervine magon who laughed with joy and wept with fear gerald was seated on the land side of these piles the wave approached and there was a good deal of wind the bon and other servants cried out come down miss come down sir gerald however waited for a huge wave and as soon as it had rushed beneath the piles he gave the child that was seated just before him a good push she of course fell forward upon the necks and that one again upon her neighbour and thus the whole file fell forward as if moved by machinery each was upheld by the one in advance except the little girl at the extremity of the line i fell forward upon her and not having any one to support her she of course fell down the tide carried her away shrieks resounded on every side and the nurses tucking up their gowns rushed into the water and each seizing her charge gave it a slap evine was fished up again and declared it was francois who had thrown her down the bon fell upon me but i made my escape and rushing home with an army of women at my heels barricaded myself in the cellar happily my father and mother were not within villeneuve valiantly defended the door and heartily cuffed the avant-garde of the enemy the real author of all this mischief gerald at last brought me succour he rushed upstairs to his own apartment and with his two sisters threw down pitchers full of water and boiled potatoes upon the heads of the assailants they raised the siege with the approach of night but the story spread like wildfire through the city and the chevalier de chateaubriand aged nine years passed for an atrocious man a remnant of those pirates of whom the holy aaron had purged his rocky island and now for another adventure i was going with gerial to saint servan a suburb of st malo from which it is divided by the trading port in order to get there when the tide was out we had to clear the little streams of water by passing over narrow bridges of flat stones which were covered at high tide the servants who accompanied us had remained a long way behind at the extremity of one of these bridges we saw two sailor-boys coming towards us gerald cried out what shall we suffer these young scoundrels to pass us and then calling to them exclaimed get into the water you ducks the said ducks however having the quality of sailors and not understanding his raillery continued to advance gerald drew back we placed ourselves at the end of the bridge and began pelting them with stones they threw themselves upon us compelled us to take to our heels and furnishing themselves with pebbles they continued pelting us till we fell back upon our reserve corps that is to say our nursery maids i was not indeed like horatius struck in the eye but one of the stones hit my left ear so forcibly that it was half cut off and hung down upon my shoulder i thought not of my misfortune but of the reception which i should meet with at home if my friend got a black eye a torn jacket or a bruised shin in his adventures he was pitied caressed and fondled and supplied with new clothes but as for me when i was in a similar plight i was severely scolded and punished the wound which i had received was dangerous but i was so excessively frightened that la france with all her entreaty could not prevail upon me to return home 
I went upstairs and took shelter in my friend's apartments. Gerald bound up my head with a napkin, but this napkin again set him off. It looked to him like a mitre, and he accordingly transformed me into a bishop, and made me sing high mass with him and his sisters till supper-time. The pontiff was then compelled to go down, but, oh, how did my heart beat! My father, surprised at my disordered look and the blood upon my face, said not a word, but my mother uttered a shriek. La France related my piteous tale, in which she contrived so completely to exculpate me that I happily escaped all punishment. My ear was dressed, and Monsieur and Madame de Chateaubriand resolved to separate me from Gériel as soon as possible. I do not recollect whether it was this year that Count d'Artois came to Saint-Malo, on which occasion a naval engagement was given in his honour. I saw the young prince standing on the bastion of the powder-mill while I was among the crowd on the sea-shore. What unknown destinies were involved in his splendour and in my obscurity! If my memory does not mislead me, Saint-Malo has been visited by only two of the kings of France, Charles IX and Charles X. Such is the picture of my early childhood. I know not whether the severe education which I received be good in principle, but it was adopted by my relations without design, and in consequence of their natural temperament. So much, however, is certain that it made my ideas less similar to those of other men, and it is yet more certain that it imparted to all my feelings a tone of melancholy, arising from the habit of continual suffering at an age of weakness, thoughtlessness, and joy. Is it asked whether this mode of bringing me up led me to detest the authors of my existence? By no means. The remembrance of their rigour is almost agreeable to me. I esteem and honour their noble qualities. On the death of my father, my comrades in the regiment of Navarre were witnesses of my grief. To my mother I owe all the consolations of my life, because from her I received my religious impressions. I cherished the truths which fell from her lips with the devotion with which Pierre de Langre studied at dead of night in a solitary church, by the light of a lamp which burned before the sacred altar. Would my mind have been better developed, had I been forced to study at an earlier age? I doubt it. The waves, the winds, and the solitude, which were my first teachers, were in harmony with my natural disposition. Perhaps I owe to these rude instructors some virtues of which I should otherwise have been devoid. The truth is that no system of education is in itself preferable to another. Do children love their parents better in these days when they address them with familiarity, and no longer tremble before them? Gerald was indulged in the paternal home, whereas I was continually scolded, yet we both grew up men of honour, tender and respectful sons. The things which you set down as evil may call out the talents of your child, and those which in your eyes seem good may stifle those very talents. God does well whatever he does. It is providence which directs us, when it destines us to act a part on the great theatre of the world. End of chapter 5